0: Life and teaching, we're studying through some basic doctrines of the faith. And today we're asking the question, I want to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? These notes are available to you on the blog, theologyinthedirt.com. You can go there and check it out. And I do want to go ahead and give this caveat. I think there are 13 points and then application. We're not going to do all 13 in here today. Um, (laughs) And I've attempted to highlight the ones I want to hit this morning. And I'm going to play that by ear also, because I don't want to preach two hours to you. I would. You wouldn't stay here. Some of y'all would be nice and sit there going, we got to leave, but we can't go because are not supposed to do that. And then some of y'all would just get up and leave. And I don't want to put you in that predicament. So the notes are there for you to study. Hopefully you'll use them in your radical life group, personal study. Dig in to those notes. They're there for you to use. This morning, we're going to hit some of them. and I particularly want to make sure we make application today. So I'm going to try to scale down those points to a, to a few. Um, 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. This course of sermons is intended to help us practice 1 Timothy four. 16, we want to watch our life, that is our practice, and our teaching, because they go together. There's no such thing as having a doctrine without its practice. There's no such thing as hearing without obeying. The Lord is clear about that. Hear and obey. Practice, because you believe. So we want to watch our practice and our teaching. We want to make sure they line up. We want to make sure we have both of them intact, because our saving is wrapped up in what we believe and thus do, and therefore multiply in other people. It matters. Like, it's really that important. Our saving is not just in keeping with us walking in the truth and persevering in it, it's also in keeping an eye on our life and our spiritual vitality because we believe the correct things. We have to pay close attention to life and teaching then we understand that if we don't not only are we going to multiply false things in other people but we also endanger our very selves which our saving is wrapped up in it our spiritual vitality is wrapped up in these things this is why Paul wants Timothy to know this and multiply this and teach this in the church at Ephesus So we're focusing on the basics of the faith and how we apply them so that we keep on following Jesus and maintain our spiritual vigor together. Today we wanna ask and answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? There have been and still are people in churches who put on the Holy Spirit extra biblical ideas and practices that are rooted in poorly read and poorly interpreted scripture and or emotionally manipulated experiences and practices. We can easily do with the Holy Spirit what we have a tendency to do with other Christian doctrines, and that is to read on top of the Bible words that are not there, ideas that are not there, and our own wants, our own foolish ideas and rash desires or things taught by ill-informed people who don't know what is right. And who don't do the necessary work to understand the author's intent in the text, to know the Bible well and teach it well. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we live in a time and place where we happen to geographically exist, where an awful lot of people read the Bible like it's a spell book. And it's just not that. We even did a first Sunday class a few weeks ago. We always encourage you, sign up for those. When we send that out to you, it's an opportunity to go deeper into some things that we can't just always address right in here. Tim this morning did a marvelous job talking about Trinity. I'll do the class next week, and then Tim will do it the uh, the month after that, and he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. He's going to take this and go a little deeper into the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes work to read the Bible well. It takes time. And unfortunately, some people read on top of the Holy Spirit, Harry Potter level things that are just not in the Bible. And it's important. little note for you here. Biblical accuracy about the Holy Spirit. And and this is unfortunately something I hear from people who I think misuse and abuse the Bible's teaching on the Holy Spirit. They believe that somehow getting the Holy Spirit right that may curb some of their abuses might hinder their experience with God. And let me just say something to you very carefully here, and I want you to hear this because it's very important. Biblical accuracy about the Holy Spirit, and for that matter, anything, will not impede intense experience with the Holy Spirit. In fact, biblical accuracy will narrow your experience to the actual Holy Spirit and intensify your walk with Him so that you're not deceived by spirits who lie and deceive and propagate lies. Yes, John tells us in 1 John to test the spirits to see whether they're from God, meaning there is a place to get things right so that we're not walking in demonic experiences and calling them Christian. And that can happen. And so don't think that biblical accuracy will mute... Are blunt, intense walking with the Lord. It won't. It will ramp them up. They'll just be accurate. And we want to watch our life and our teaching closely because in so doing, we save ourselves and our hearers. Does that makes sense. I give you two examples here. One of those is uh, the poor teaching that when you become a Christian you don't get all of the Holy Spirit you have to seek Him out to get all of Him in a later experience beyond salvation that some falsely apply the biblical phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit to first of all baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a later experience you get later that is not what Paul means when he calls our salvation experience baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you pay close attention to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, just a little side note, this isn't in your notes, that phrase only shows up seven times in the entire Bible. This, the key one that defines the rest of them is 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, where he tells us that baptism in the Holy Spirit is what takes us into the family of God, bursts us into the church of Jesus Christ, and you can't be in the church of Jesus Christ unless, you, unless you've been born again. That's your salvation. Misunderstanding that and teaching people that you get the Holy Spirit later if you really, really seek after him creates two spiritual classes in the local church, the really spiritual and the rest of those who wonder what's wrong with them. That's unbiblical, it's unholy, and it's wrong. What happens to you at your salvation, whether it's super emotional, super not emotional, super cerebral, super not cerebral, does not define whether or not the Holy Spirit took you from death to life and baptized you into the kingdom of God. Your emotional experience is no tester of what happened to you at salvation. Does that make sense? So relax if you're not a super emotional person and it was mental, right? That's a little me. And so one of the ways we do that is we read on top of Bible phrases things that other people conclude without letting the text make the conclusion. Do not misunderstand. If you believe the gospel, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God. You became a member of the universal church of Jesus Christ as he gave you a new heart, took up residence inside of you regardless of what it felt like or what you experienced or didn't experience emotionally. Another example of misuse of the Holy Spirit is the idea of receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is evidenced by speaking in another language. The example of people speaking in other languages upon repentance and faith is a missionary description of what's happening in Acts as the gospel advances globally. In Acts one eight framework, these instances in Acts are not prescribing what should be happening in all Christians everywhere all the time. The belief that Holy Spirit is evidenced primarily by speaking in other languages is contrary to what the Bible teaches about the gift of languages in Corinthians. And one of the things I want you to know is the Bible will never contradict itself. If you're pitting Scripture against Scripture, you're not doing it right. So there's are some examples of how we misuse Holy Spirit and what the Bible says about Holy Spirit. Now what I want to do is ask and answer the question, What does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit? Now, a little note, this list, is very long that we're not going to do all of them today together, and here is not exhaustive. This list was a lot longer, and I had to chop it down to this to decide on the fly which ones I'm going to give you this morning. It's not exhaustive. There's so much more. But this list is intended to give us some guardrails to operate inside of. Does that make sense? So we're going to read the scripture together. John 16, verse 7 to 11. It's going to be on the screen. So if you'll take a stand, we're going to read it together. John 16, verse 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit? Well, the first observation I want to give you, we're gonna see in multiple scriptures, it's this, the Holy Spirit is God. He is eternally a member of the Trinity and he is distinct from the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit is God. He's not a second class citizen in the Trinity. He's God, he's creator God. He's hovering over the waters in creation. He is an agent of creation through the creative genius of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, and the Father. He's a member of the Trinity, and yet he is still distinct from and has a ministry in line with and distinct from the Father and the Son. The Bible describes him as eternal in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. We're going to be all over your Bible. So get it ready. Be ready to turn. Use your app, your phone, whatever you're going to use. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning. But he's described as being eternal in Hebrews 9, 14. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes the Holy Spirit. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, so the blood of Christ through, applied through the eternal Holy Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. He's asking a question. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's God. He's a member of the Trinity, co-equal with God, distinct from Father and Son, means by which salvation is applied. We also see that he's described in Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8, as being omnipresent. That is all present. That scripture says, where shall I go from your spirit? It's a rhetorical question. Can't escape him. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He is omnipresent. Do you know Holy Spirit beat you to this gym this morning? You didn't bring him. You didn't conjure him up. We say that. We want want you to understand that the call to worship is not a conjuring ceremony. That if we get it right, the lighting's right. Everybody's holding their mouth right. Or you made sure you confessed your sins before you walked in and got kind of on the same page with the Lord. Or, you know, you did something, you know, just did something to just get the right molecule in place. He is not, he is not a lever that we pull. There's no chain that we yank to get his presence. Do you understand that? He is God and he is present. And he was here Because this is his creation, all of creation in him. There's nowhere, the psalmist says, you can go that he's not. The question is, will we tune our hearts to him? Will we, with an act of disciplined will, say, soul, meet with him today? Right? He is omnipresent. Do you know he's even searching your thoughts and emotions and all that's going on in you right now? He's at work in you even at this moment. He's implicitly given the title God in Acts 5, verse 3 to 4. And the Holy Spirit is called Lord in 2 Corinthians 3, 17. I'll give you just an example there. We're not going to read both of those. But in Acts 5, verse 3 to 4, this is Ananias and Sapphira. He says, Ananias, Peter asks, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it in your disposal? Why is it you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. The New Testament letters affirm the Holy Spirit participates together with the Father and with the Son as co-sources of the divine blessings that belong to us who are followers of Jesus. I gave you a whole slew of scriptures in parenthesis. You can go look them up. But just the example for this morning, Titus 3, 4 to 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of... So, how did he pull that off? Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit participates with the Father and with the Son in all the glorious spiritual blessings that are available to us because we come to faith in Jesus. Which, by the way, if you had to go get that later, you have no access to it now when you believe the gospel, right? So, another example of why, when you become a Christian, you get all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. The question is will you walk with Him? The Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus with us. Thus, he is God, just like Jesus is God. And thus why the doctrine of Trinity is so vital to us. John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So he's God. Second observation I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit does this amazing work of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We just read this scripture. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 8 of the scripture we just read. And when he comes, because Jesus said, when I send to the Father, I'm going to send you the Spirit. So Acts 2 records for us this amazing moment at which the Lord Jesus sends effectively the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work in redemption and the advancement of the kingdom of God and the full establishment and the reign and rule of Christ, which is why it's such a powerful moment. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. Jesus sends him to dwell and stay forever. And he does this amazing Acts 2 work. And Jesus is telling his disciples about it. And if you want to just do a just nice little study on your own, John 14, 15, and 16, go read them. Read them slowly. Mark every time the Lord Jesus says something about the Holy Spirit. In fact, part of the 15 pages I saved for later is just walking through those three chapters in the Gospel of John. It's glorious. This is just a sampling. He says, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. The word used here, convict, is a word the New Testament also applies specifically to the church in regard to our refinement. So you'll read in Paul later, he uses the exact same language to talk about the work of the Lord in refining us as his people. So there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit convicts us as Christians about refinement, about growing up into Jesus. But here in John 16, 8, Jesus isn't speaking about the Holy Spirit's work among us because he says convict the world. Here the word convict is applied to world to describe the Holy Spirit's ministry in the world to those who are in and of the world system. So the Holy Spirit is actively, listen, this is, this is so massive. I, I, I want you to really, really get this. The Holy Spirit is actively doing work Right now, where you're not. Because remember, you don't conjure him up. You don't take him with you. He beat you there. So wherever you go tomorrow, he's already actively convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's actively laying bare sin. He's actively at work in someone's heart showing them the fact that they are sinners. Verse 9, about sin, because they do not believe in me. The ultimate issue, the sin of the world, is they do not believe in the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit has already beat you to the punch. And he's at work in somebody's heart to receive the gospel that you will preach to them by showing them the fact that they are separated from God and don't believe in Jesus. This is really good news. Listen, there's no heavy lifting you have to do with the gospel. None. It's not a burden. It's a joy to join him on mission and share Jesus because the Holy Spirit beat you there in his ministry to prepare that heart to receive the message that you have to preach. Isn't that fun? This is really, really good news. Convict the world of sin about Righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, I'm not going to be here. So they're going to have the example. They need to know what right behavior looks like, and the Holy Spirit's going to show them. And one of His models is going to be you in judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the Holy Spirit's going to let people know that these dark entities that set in this place of ruling this world system for a short time have been judged and their judgment is coming in that Revelation 21 moment where they will be cast in the lake of fire forever. And the new heavens and the new earth will be fully and finally established and we will reign with him forever on a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Because the ruler of this world is judged and all those who don't believe will be judged with them and there they will dwell under the active hand and discipline of God forever. Jesus refers to that as Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. He calls it hell. The Holy Spirit's already convicting the world that they're going to be judged. So don't be surprised when you're ministering in the public square and people have a sense of condemnation that sits on them that they try to escape with a hundred different things. It's because the Holy Spirit is letting them know that unless you repent and believe this message that this person is going to bring to you today, you will be judged by God. That's already there. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's bringing it. He has a convicting ministry in the public square. So when you see sin exposed, and it's not due to anything actively done, obviously by Christians, when he pulls the cover back on whether it's systemic or personal sin, it's because the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal sin. He's going to, he's Holy Spirit. He's not just spirit, he's Holy Spirit, and he will not tolerate sin. He is going to clean up his created order in people and in creation. And so he has this ministry. When you preach the gospel and someone repents, no, it was the Holy Spirit who's already present doing this convicting work. When you successfully labor at systemic change to see wholeness restored and created order, no, it was the Holy Spirit doing the -the behind-the-scenes work and enabling your labor to be effective. It's part of his ministry. I'm skipping over three, four, five. We'll stop at six. The Holy Spirit is a person and he can be grieved and lied to. The Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved and lied to. Listen to Isaiah sixty-three ten. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. It's funny how some of these scriptures are never our scripture memory verses, All right? Isn't it funny how we like, we only like pick certain scripture memory verses, not that God's fighting against me. Whoa. They grieved his Holy Spirit so he became their enemy and fought against them. Listen very carefully. Make sure you don't fall outside the new covenant promise of the substitutionary work of Jesus so you will never grieve the Spirit in a manner that you find yourself the enemy of God. Here's your gospel invitation. If you haven't believed the gospel repent and believe today. Because that's the only way you will find yourself to never be an enemy of God. Because if you're not in Christ, you are His enemy, and you will lose. There's no defeating the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is coming a day of reckoning, so repent and believe the gospel. So there's a sense in which there are people who grieve the Spirit and find themselves the enemy of God because they're outside the covenant promises of God and the work of Jesus Christ. But also, if you're a professing Christian then you need to be careful to not do what these people did in Isaiah and presume upon the Lord that it's okay for you to just act. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 6. There's no place in a repentant person's heart to sin and go, "That's all right. I'm forgiven." Paul says those people aren't Christians. They're not saved. And so don't let yourself be on that presumptive end of an Isaiah 63, 10 where you're grieving the Spirit of God and are okay with it because, well, he's got me covered. No, 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 no. You're going to find yourself an enemy of God. and You're going to lose that hard. But there's also something in Ephesians about this. Ephesians 4, 30, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. So for those of us who are repentant, we're seeking to walk with the Lord. We're trying to not give in to sin. We're fighting sin. He says also, don't grieve him. Because you were sealed with him for the day of redemption. So don't make him sad. Don't cause his heart to grieve. We need to lean into our security in Christ as repentant followers of Lord Jesus. His salvation and his security in it is there for us to lean into, but we need to not presume upon the Lord's kindness by harboring dark behaviors that grieve the Holy Spirit. This kind of living might indicate our status as one who hasn't been born again by the powerful supernatural grace of God that transforms sinners. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Number eight, we're skipping down to number eight. The Holy Spirit enables prayer for holiness and for power in spiritual warfare. The Holy Spirit enables prayer for holiness and he enables power in spiritual conflict. Isn't it Jude 1, 20 and 21? And really there's only like one chapter of Jude. So like somebody's like, you should just say Jude 20 and somebody's going to get on my like... My documentation there, and that's okay. It's Jude 20 to 21, because there's only one chapter of Jude, so it's obvious it's 1, 20 to 21, so don't send the email. It's okay. The Holy Spirit enables prayer for holiness and power in spiritual conflict, but you dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Praying in the Holy Spirit isn't a mystery. He says, pray in the Holy Spirit, building yourselves up in in this most holy faith. And keeping yourselves in, in the love of God. Prayer in the Holy Spirit for holiness is not a mystery. This is all of prayer. Prayer in the Spirit is prayer that is located. That's why in, this little word in is locative. It's, it's speaking of the location of prayer. Prayer in the Spirit is located in intimate fellowship with the Spirit in which we are praying in line with His eternal purpose and will with Him as He intercedes for us as His people. That's prayer in the Holy Spirit. It's not a mystery. Just read your Bible, know what God's will is in the Holy Spirit, know what His purpose is, and pray in line with that. That is prayer in the Holy Spirit. He intends you to be holy. Holy Spirit, will you help me to be holy today? And you know what the answer and the power available to you will be? Yes. Yes, I will. Ephesians 6.18, He's also there to provide power in spiritual conflict. Ephesians 6.18 is a translator. I have translation problem with the CSB's translation of verse 18 in the participle and i'll share it with you in just a second the sv i think does it better but he provides power listen to ephesians six eighteen. now this verse 18 comes on the backside of paul teaching them about putting on the spiritual armor to fight this conflict against the rulers and principalities and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly places listen you we're going to talk about angels and demons in a few weeks you need to understand that there's more to what's happening in this room than what you see with your physical eye There's a war raging around you, and it's real. It's not fake. It's not pretend. There are forces that hate you, that hate the kingdom, and are to do everything in their power to impede the advance of the gospel. In you, in us, and in our city, which is why kingdom work is hard. Which is why we run into walls and hardship and difficulty and tears and pain. is because the enemy wants to inflict as much opposition as they possibly can. So Paul says you're going to have to armor up. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The fight is not against you. It's not against me. Paul says this war is against them. And we have to put this stuff on to get after it. And he comes to verse 18 and he tells them how to put it on. Because you read about it. You go, am I, how, how am I going to put on a salvation? How am I going to put on righteousness? How am I going to put on truth? How am I going to get readiness on? How am I going to wield the word? How am I going to take up faith? Well, he tells you in verse 18, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray in Ephesians 6.18 is a participle. And it should be translated praying. That's how, it, that's how you clearly know praying is the way, because it's a participle, and the is a verbal adjective. Sorry for the English lesson. But the, the, the participle dis- tells us, it gives us a picture of how to do what we were just told. It's the how-to, it's the application. That's what participles do. They describe how to do the verbs that they just previously gave you. And we're to put all these things on. How do we do it? Praying at all times in the Spirit. So we pray in line with the Spirit. We're praying in line with His purpose. And we do it at all times with every request, staying alert, persevering, and praying for each other. That's how we get the armor on. And so the Holy Spirit enables prayer for holiness and enables us to armor up for the war. And if we're not praying in the Holy Spirit, we're exposed. So the Holy Spirit enables this. Oh, I'm skipping so much good stuff, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe that you're using those notes and that you will get after them today, okay? If not, that's on you. I wrote it for you to have. Number 11, the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus and he glorifies Jesus. That's his task. That's his primary task. This is where I wrestled spending a lot of time. I really wanted to walk you through 14, 15, and 16 of John. Maybe at another date. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus and he glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever make himself the point. If you're ever anywhere where the Holy Spirit is the primary point, Holy Spirit's not present. Jesus said explicitly his task was to take from what belongs to Jesus given by the Father and make it known to you that it belongs to Jesus and is for Jesus and for the advancement of his kingdom. Listen how he says it in John 15, 26 to 27. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. His testifying work is to convict the world about sin. Sin because they don't believe in Jesus, Right. Righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father. Judgment because Jesus has judged the ruler of this world. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to take from what belongs to Jesus, make it known to us, testify about Jesus. Verse 27, you also will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. Why will they testify? Because they've been with Jesus and they don't have the Holy Spirit who's going to remind them about Jesus. And their task is to testify about Jesus. When they testify about Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit's power to do so because that's the Holy Spirit's job. This is why you'll hear me say often, just talk about Jesus. Make sure you say his name. God is not enough. And I don't mean triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean generic God that's easy cop-out to say God because we're not going to really offend anybody because even atheists now are claiming some kind of God. Because, listen, we live in a spiritually charged world. That's reality. Atheism was a tiny parenthesis. Naturalism was a tiny worldview parenthesis in world history. And that has died a cold, hard death. And the only place atheism still hangs out is in academia because academia is always the last to change historically. So don't be surprised when you go into class and they're still Naturalists. They're behind, 20 years behind. It's just the truth. Education is always 20 years behind. I'm a former teacher, I know. I've been, it just is, or behind, behind, behind. So don't think that right there in the moment, they've got it down. No, they're still goobers teaching evolution. And it's like, like you don't even have to be a Christian to know that's garbage. That's not even Christian. That's just observational. Because now, like, like I'm I'm on my soapbox now. All you got to do is say science. Oh, let's bow down to the new priests of scientists. I'm like, what you got to start doing is just start making fun of that, and people will stop doing it. So what I I like to do is when I talk about college football and I talk about University of Georgia, it's just science. Science. Braves are the best team in baseball, science. And it's like, yeah, whatever. So... I don't even know how I got there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not in the notes. The Holy Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus. So get to Jesus. Don't just talk generic God. Say Jesus' name. I know it's uncomfortable. And stop. Stop and ask yourself the question, why am I comfortable saying generic God but uncomfortable saying Jesus? Ask yourself that key question the next time that comes up in your soul. And the answer is because there's a conflict going on above you that's creating an emotional response to saying Jesus because you know the implication of saying Jesus and what they're going to think about you. And if you do it, you begin to feel the vibe in the room shift and it's pointed toward you and it's uncomfortable. Why is that? Because the enemy don't want people to know Jesus. You can say generic God all day and be like, he didn't say Jesus. He didn't say Jesus. But the very second you bring up Jesus, it ruins the atmosphere because you've spoiled the kingdom of darkness's work in the moment. Tune in. Don't be ashamed of the name. Said it last week, say it again. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men whereby you can be saved. So that the name of Jesus, Philippians 2, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is distinctly Christian. It's gospel. And if we don't bear that witness, we're abjectly failing to join the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Jesus is testified to by the Spirit. Number 12, the Holy Spirit can be suppressed. Yes, the Holy Spirit can be suppressed. He's a person to be related to and seems to be unwilling to force himself into recognition. Just like we can grieve him, Paul warns the Thessalonians not to suppress him. He can be suppressed, not because he's not God, but because his mission is to highlight Jesus. If you don't want more Jesus, he will sit quietly. And he will also not empower you. Listen, I want what only God can do. And the only way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit, exalting Jesus. It's the only way that we tap into the supernatural work of God. But if we don't highlight Jesus, if we don't lift Jesus up, we are stifling, suppressing. First Thessalonians 5, 19. And 1 Thessalonians 5 is a glorious study of these these commands. Paul gives this Thessalonian church, and and it's a whole sermon by itself, but one of the commands he gives in the CSB, it's don't stifle the Spirit. In the ESV, it's don't quench the Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit. Now, we're going to do an application on this one in just a few moments because it's important. So you mean I can stifle, quench the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you can. Not because you're all powerful, but because if you don't want Jesus, He'll let you have that. I want to say this I just feel compelled to say this to you we have this idea of the judgment of God from cartoons being like a lightning bolt and we even joke about it saying oh God's going to like lightning bolt because I joked about whatever like told a stupid joke oh God's going to get me that's our concept of the judgment of God the Bible teaches something far more serious and far more scary to me and that's the passive judgment of God where God backs off and just lets me have what I want just lets me go my way you want that bad enough? have it You don't want me? That's fine. And he lets us go and have exactly what we want. And then when he presents it on the backside, we get this awful picture of the resurrection. And Jesus even taught this, Lord, I I said your name. I was involved in some mighty stuff. And the Lord's response is, I don't redemptively know you. You're going to have to leave. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. Since it's the Spirit's job to highlight Jesus, He will not exalt Himself. And if we don't want more Jesus, He won't force the issue. We can stifle His work among us through resistance to Him. His mission is to lift up the Son of God. Final observation before we do some application the Holy Spirit unifies the people of God in local churches. The Holy Spirit unifies the people of God in local churches. This is very important. One of the things I continually observe, particularly in social media, and watch among other people as I listen to other pastors in our town and guys I run with around the world, is much of the American church's population has been discipled by news outlets. And it's not so much the content that matters But what's scarier and most observable are the tactics employed by people in rhetoric that create division and conflict. There's actually a political theory that says the farther you go away from centrist ideas to extremes it's like a horseshoe. That the tactics of extremes actually come back to the middle and they begin to mimic each other. In other words, Fox News and CNN do the exact same thing, just with different content. Their tactics are the same. It's desensitize, jam, and convert. It's the same tactics, just with different content, which ought to be enough to tell you they're evangelizing you to a tactical framework. And what happens is Christians bring the content in and mimic what they see on their favorite news programs with each other. And content-wise, they do the same thing. They find the extremes in everything and find them to be number one, not number two or three and fight about them when they're not fightable. The American church, the local church, has never been more fragmented, and it's not because we don't have clear doctrine, and it's not because other churches don't teach the Bible well. It's because we've been discipled by the world through our eyes and social media and news coverage, and we bring that into the church and we put Bible language on top of it, then bite each other. And can I just say the Holy Spirit is not in it. It's demonic. It's of the world. It's divisive. And his task is to unify, not separate. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility. Humility. If you think you know everything, you don't. And that's the first indication that you don't as you think you do. There's no doctrinal purity in any Christian because you're on this side of the resurrection. So you think you got something figured out, go live about 20 more years, get kicked in the teeth a few times, then come talk to me. That makes sense? G- humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, verse 3, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, meaning the Spirit is unifying and He is bringing peace. Think creation, at creation. The Holy Spirit brought peace to chaos. He brought order where there was none. He is the spirit of peace, and he's the spirit of order. And so we're to be eager to maintain that. How do we do that? We walk with him. We pray in his will and his purpose. And when we do that, there is peace and unity. Jesus has unified his people worldwide by his elective, and redemptive, powerful salvation, and he sent us to make disciples of all nations who then gather in cities, small towns, villages, and neighborhoods all over the world as local churches. Those local churches have distinctives and second and third level issues, as well as tactical distinctions in doing the Great Commission that allow them to meet in different locations and yet still be on the same team. One of the great lies in pop Christianity is that denominations are from the devil. They're not. We exist in different second and third level frameworks because they're legitimate, debatable things. Paul did this on mission. Remember that? Young John Mark went with... Paul on those first mission journeys. And what do we find? We find Paul wants to go on another mission journey and Barnabas wants to go too and Barnabas like and by the way, Barnabas is not his real name, it's his nickname. His name is Joseph. Go read Acts very carefully. He is Joseph. And he got the nickname Barnabas, and Barnabas is son of encouragement. Paul's equal jerk. Not really, I don't know what Paul's translated to. But Paul's kind of a jerk. I'm a jerk. I'm very much similar to Paul. But Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He wants to take John Mark along. And Paul's like, mm, no, nah. it's quitter. Bailed on us. I had to send him home. He can go shut corn. I can go with John Mark. Barnabas is like, man, we got to train him. Paul's like, mm, negative. So Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul's dying. He's getting ready to die. Second Timothy, he says, hey, would you bring... Would you bring John Mark? He's useful in ministry. I'd like to see him again. Paul was perfect. He had to learn. He was just a jerk. Barnabas was the encourager. And so the reality is there are issues, there are distinctions that have to be dealt with. And it's okay to have that distinctive and be there. It's okay. Baptist churches aren't for everybody. There's there's some things we, we just don't agree with some people. That's fine You can go be somewhere else. It's okay But what we don't do in that is beat each other up on the inside over those second and third level things because of the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace Historically the church has had to do that all over there were different fellowships in Ephesus. There were different fellowships in Corinth It's okay but what we don't do inside of our local fellowships is beat each other up on those distinctives because we've set as number one something that ought to be number three. that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit works in unity and peace. And if on the inside you're full of chaos and disorder because of something that you've counted one that ought to be three, does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit's not working like that. And when we have those Fox News and CNN tactics we want to apply inside the local church, we hurt and wound and bite one another. That's just not what the Holy Spirit is into. When we stay unified on the essentials, which is what we're teaching this series, these are the essentials. Our doctrinal statement outlines the essentials. The Baptist faith and message does a fantastic job at outlining the essentials so that we can be together and have a big tent and still disagree on some things and move in the same direction. The Holy Spirit works in that. And we don't want to find ourselves opposing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired Romans chapter 14 for a reason. You guys, we've taught that twice. Started at the beginning of COVID. We did it a little bit ago. I taught Romans 14 again. First thing he says in Romans 14:1, do not argue about opinions. Well, if you don't know the difference between opinion and a fact, then that's part of the problem. Don't argue about opinions. They don't want to eat on that day. You ain't got to eat on that day. Then you eat on your day. You don't want to drink that, don't drink it. They do, fine. They want to eat that, you don't, fine. Don't argue about it. Love each other. Oh, It's not like the Bible doesn't address it. Half the problem is we don't read it, B. And when we do read it, we bring our ideas to it and read them on top of it and try to make God say something that I want Him to say because I want Him to say it because I'm right and God's wrong. It's not how the Holy Spirit works. We have to come and know the difference between the essentials and the second and third issues. Sin is always going to be a first-level issue. Adultery, first-level issue. What day your radical life group gathered? Don't matter. Yes. Right? Well, you guys are... Romans 14. Suck it up. It'll be all right. Don't argue your opinions. Do whatever you want to do. You see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit works, but that requires some nuance. That requires some relationships, some granularity. The ability to get down in the grains and separate them out and go, this is really okay. Make sense? Because the Holy Spirit works to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So what in the heck are we going to do with this? Number one, hey, by the way, Lord's Supper takes longer. So don't look at your watch and thinking he's preaching longer than he normally does. This Lord's Supper takes longer. Y'all know that's a fact, don't you? It takes longer. And we love it. Don't we? It's good. I love how we're doing the Lord's Supper. I ain't going to change that. Never. No, that's beautiful. So I'm not preaching longer. Lord's Supper just takes longer. What are we going to do with this? Number one, make war on any idea that views the Holy Spirit as a force or a thing to be manipulated. Clean up your vocabulary. He's not a thing. He's not an it. He's a he. He's not a force to be manipulated. He's not the force of Star Wars. He is... Holy Spirit, he is he, he is God. He has a ministry that has been given by the Father and the Son, and he executes it to take us to Jesus. He's a person who desires to relate to us and wants us to relate to him. So any idea that thinks of him as an it, flush it. And think of him as him and relate to him as a person who is to be submitted to, not manipulated. Two, if you want more Holy Spirit, begin wanting more Jesus. If you want more Holy Spirit, begin wanting more Jesus. Jesus made it clear the Spirit takes from the Father, takes from what the Father's given to the Son, and makes it known to us to lift up Jesus. Number three, this is simple and it's transformative. Acknowledge the Holy Spirit by speaking to him when you rise first in the morning and as you go through your day. Just acknowledge him. Say good morning. Because if he truly is present, then don't ignore him. Acknowledge him. It's amazing. If you notice what happens just in human relationships, and I'm super horrible, first as an introvert, and secondly as a person who just like got lots of stuff going on and my mind's full of stuff, I can breeze by somebody and not even acknowledge them by saying good morning or hey, how's she doing? how are you doing? Hey, mom and them, whatever. Like it's just that make out eye contact and hey, I'm awful at that. I'm absolutely terrible. And I know it's offensive sometimes. You're like, oh my God, it's just, I'm wired that way. So I'm going, boom, boom let's do these thousand things, boom, 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 let's knock them out. But you ever notice what happens when you slow down and look somebody in the eye and say, "Hey, good morning. How's it going? How's your mom and them?" Right? And I know that southern for like you know whatever. And I say, "How's your mom uh, anyway?" Don't make fun of me. That's Silver Creek. But you just see somebody and you just say, "Hey, good morning. What's up?" You ever notice how it's disarming, and it builds this thing that happens—a rapport. We can talk to each other and we're like, "Oh yeah, hey, what's up?" If he is a person, I wonder what. Quenching looks like when we don't ignore him. I mean, when we ignore him. You, make, you see what I'm saying? Like, what does stifling the Spirit look like if I don't even acknowledge his presence? So, could it be that I stifle him by not even acknowledging he's there? Could be. So, when you open your Bible to read and you whip out that superior Bible reading plan that I gave you and you start reading it, say, Holy Spirit, you're present, and I acknowledge that this morning, and I want to hear you. Thank you for being present. Just simple like that. And listen, you will be shocked at a difference that makes. So just acknowledge His presence. Don't ignore Him. Four, as you continue learning prayer, and nobody in this room has prayer figured out, you're still growing as a disciple. I'm still learning prayer. As you continue learning prayer, take time to listen. Don't do all the talking. The Holy Spirit has a will. It's to take us to Jesus, to show us, remind us of the truth. And when he can't get a word in edgewise, it could be that we're stifling him. So get quiet. Get comfortable in the quiet. Intentionally slow your mind down by thinking about one thing and let it be Jesus. Be saturated in the scriptures. Wait on the Lord. If you do those simple five little things, you'll get yourself in a place where you've tuned your ears to hear the Holy Spirit. I remember we used to have these walkie-talkies on Pine Ridge Drive down in Silver Creek. And this was probably 82. And these things look like Vietnam era army walkie-talkies. And, and they had a frequency to them, and we put those antennas up because you know, had to go in, street light came on, had to, and sometimes didn't matter. So whatever, we'd be out, and, and we like to play war and BB gun battles. And so, yes, we had rules, like you don't shoot from, like, you know, the neck up, and that's so stupid. So kids, don't do that. Don't do it because you can't aim. And there's lots of I'm so I can't believe none of us shot our eye out. So have BB gun battles, have war. Hey, the war would go all night, man. Sometimes we would like, and have to go home, but these walkie-talkies is how we kept battle plans going, but you have to tune that sucker in. And so, I me mean, you start working on that dial, and it'd be, and then I'm trying to get Rittenhouse on the line, man. I'm, And then when I'm tuning it, it finally goes quiet. Quiet, we're on the frequency. We know, and I go, Rittenhouse. He's like, What? <laughs> right? But I had to tune that sucker to get on that frequency so he could hear me and I could hear him. Holy Spirit's like that, man. He's not going to force himself into you. He, you can quench him. You can lie to him. He wants you to get on his page so it takes getting quiet, getting comfortable, slowing your mind down, saturated with the scriptures, wait on the Lord, and you begin to dial that sucker up. And the next thing you know, he's whispering in your ear, I need you to go here and do that. And if you will hear and obey, it will change your life and it'll change the world around you. You'll be living in the supernatural stream of the power of God. It's available to you, all of you. In order to not stifle, quench the spirit, listen, I'm gonna finish. I ain't hurrying this up, so just hang out. In order to not stifle and quench the spirit, I want you to pay attention to the activities around 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 that are contrary to the spirit. He does this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He gives these commands so that they walk with the Lord. Because remember verse 19 says, don't stifle, don't quench the spirit. So I want us to pay attention to what might actually stifle, quench the spirit. So what I've done is I've taken those commands and I've turned them into the negative. And I want you to hear. Here's some things that can quench the Spirit, stifle His work in your life. Number one, ignore and despise those who labor for the gospel. Two, seek out drama and chaos and conflict and take joy in it. Be idle. Give no comfort to the discouraged. Give no help to the weak. Be impatient. Repay evil with evil. Pursue what just a few think is good since everybody else is dumb. Be constantly in grief and woe is me mode. Don't pray. Complain. Despise a prophetic word. Don't test ideas or teachings. Let go of the good and embrace what the flesh wants. Man, a a little evil and sin never hurt anybody. You do those things, you'll effectively stifle and quench the Holy Spirit. Sixth, seek the Lord in fellowship according to the Bible's instruction. We as individuals have the Holy Spirit, and yet the Bible is clear that the church gathered in membership together and accountable to one another under biblical leadership is the temple of the Holy Spirit, not just isolated Christians. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 when he says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit lives in you, whom you have from God, you're not your own, you're bought with a price glorify God in your body. The you in that, the you is not singular, it's plural, you, the church gathered. The church and membership together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's a sense in which we individually have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is activated in us when we are together in membership together on mission. You cannot be an isolated Christian and walk with the Spirit. Not possible. Bible doesn't give us any room for that. So seek the Lord in fellowship according to the Bible's instruction. The chief place you'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit is when you're together, Bible's open, seeking the Lord together, quiet, and you stop talking and you listen together for a little bit. You will hear Him. You will. He'll make His will clear. Seventh, don't be in such a hurry that you rush past divine moments that the Spirit prepared for us to encourage us and to be encouraged by others. Don't, don't be in such a hurry that you rush past those moments. I'm going to close with this story because it happened Friday and I asked permission to share this story. I was in Walmart picking up some stuff for a, a little meeting we had Friday night to prepare for a trip to India and uh, I was trying to hustle because, you know, storms are coming and I wanted to get all that done before all that went down and following my weather guy and liarly, yeah, there's a good dude in Lyarly you can find him on the Twitters he's always right about weather and so I was like I trust this cat it's going down man and so I'm going to get this knocked out because what if we don't have power I mean, we still have the meeting you know so whatever so I'm just trying to think go get this done get this done so I'm, I'm hustling I'm walking blah, 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 and I turn the aisle right there and run into the coke man and the coke man looks at me and I look at the coke man he recognized me and I recognize him this guy named Jason Tanner And his wife's name is April. And April and I knew each other a long time ago. And our, our boys, our oldest, Gabe and Cade, went to school together here at Unity for a bit. And so we started talking, chatting, and, 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 I, and, and I was like, hey, how's, how's Cade doing? And he said, you don't know about Cade? And I said, no, I don't, I don't know about Cade. And he told me about a, a car accident he had. And he's paralyzed from C4 down. And Jason and I never had really, I mean, we had some conversations along the way because our kids played ball together, did stuff together. And, you know, and April and Jennifer would talk, and we would sit and chat and whatever. And, but it, and just, you know, I'm in a hurry. Storm's coming. He's on, the jo- he's on the job. He's a big store coat guy, man. He's got stuff to do. And he said, man, can I tell you what's going on? And, and I don't know, it's 30 minutes or so. Jason just preached to me about the faithfulness of God. And the encouragement of obedience. And we wept together. We prayed together. People coming down the aisle to get Coca-Cola because if you're getting Pepsi, you ain't saved. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Michael, just kidding. Just kidding. Pepsi. Pepsi man over here. So he's just like, ah, I'm jolly guy's not saved. So you know, the, the Coke man, and so he's got a job to do. We're, we're praying together. People coming by trying to get drinks, and we're blocking the aisle. Two grown men standing in the aisle Crying. And he's like, I don't know why we have to go through hard things to learn that we can hear the Lord, and we need to obey him and follow him. If we obey him and follow him, he will go before us and do stuff. And this brother's believing God that his kid's going to walk again. And not only does he believe he's going to walk again, there's evidence that he's already beginning to have feeling in lower extremities that he didn't have months ago. And he said, I have to believe. And he's, and here's this brother. He's the Coke man. And he's preaching to the preacher of the Bible about believing the Lord, trusting the Lord, and listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, and I was discouraged. That's was kind of a rough day. And I'm like, I'm encouraged. And if I'm rushing through and go, hey, Jason, got to get out of here. Storm's coming. See you, buddy. You get to work. I'm going, like, I got a mission to do. I got to India to get. I got a trip. Stuff to do. Stuff to do. I would have missed that moment to be encouraged that the Holy Spirit put together for this brother to encourage me and he's the one struggling through this, not me and he preached to me about the grace and mercy and love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we can believe the Lord and that our faith matters and I'm just going, yes, yes but if we get in a hurry, we miss those divine moments, man, and I just say to you, if you want more Holy Spirit want more Jesus and just slow down Don't rush past that divine appointment with an image bearer who possesses the Holy Spirit who the Lord might have sent for you that day. Hurry will kill your discipleship. So kill it. Listen to the Lord. And believe the Lord. Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do. Remember I've said worship is not an emotive response to our our environment. Worship is a willful decision to give Jesus what his due is. That's what we're going to do. We're going to worship the Lord. And I want you to engage your will to give the Lord what's his, but also tune your heart to the Holy Spirit this morning. We've given you enough bumpers in the road to not get out of bounds. Remember those things. Listen and obey. And so as the band's coming up, I'm just asking you to get quiet before the Lord. Let's wait on him for a moment. And after we're quiet before the Lord and we wait on him for a moment, I'll pray and then these guys, when they're ready, can lead you. Just take a moment to get quiet and listen. Holy Spirit, we want to see Jesus. Would you take from what the Father has given to the Son and show us those beautiful things so that we can see more Jesus? Would you guide us into truth? Would you remind us of everything the Lord has said? Would you empower us? Empower our faith. Would you help us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Would you help us to fight sin and put on the armor of God? Would you tune our spiritual ears to hear? Would you help us not to quench you, stifle you? Would you help us to turn from sin? for those who may be outside the faith would you convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment we desire you we want more of you Lord Jesus so would you be pleased to tangibly manifest your glorious presence among us we want you we're not coming to you because of what you give us we're coming to you because you're worthy whatever you want to give us we want to receive